Today, though, we are just really blessed to have uh, a guest with us to speak. And usually, you know, we bring people in, but it's important to recognize, too, is that um, we try to do things with purpose. And one of the things that we have done since the beginning of our church is we have continually tithed part of our gifts and offerings to ministries and ministries all over the world. Um, and actually, last year, a quarter of our offerings, 25%, and if you look, trust me, I'm in the church finance business, so I know how much is spent. 25% is a huge amount percentage-wise. So even though, you know, think widows might here, so it's not like a huge amount maybe compared to some churches, but for us, uh, if you give to Echo, and you can do so online or at the box later, but 25% of that goes straight to missions uh, work all over the world. And we have missionaries in Poland, in Myanmar, so last year we had Daniel, who is uh, a major Christian leader in the country that was formerly Burma, Myanmar, uh, there too with us. We have, we have supported missions in Africa, and just this last year we picked up um, mission work with Johnny and Zandra Dye and their two beautiful daughters who are going to entertain us later. Like, it's, everything's happening today. You're going to be thankful that you're here. But uh, Johnny is a mission and minister in Venezuela. And uh, Johnny and I went to college together. So we do all, we have collective stories and we've made a pact that I won't tell if you don't tell. So I think there we're good. But for decades, Johnny and his family have ministered in Caracas, Venezuela. And if you have followed the news at all over the last years, you realize that this has become an incredibly difficult space just politically, which then also reflects on the work of the church there. So that's why we were excited to be able to join them to our support. And uh, so again, one of the reasons that Johnny wanted to come is because you help them do what they do. And what we want this morning is to have Johnny explain, you know, his family's work and the country to give us a chance to get this in prayer. And I will ask, are we there yet? on the video. So at some point, Johnny, Dylan's going to give you a fist bump and we're going to nail this out. But will you welcome this morning, Johnny Dye? Uh, I'm excited to be here. Thanks, uh, Steve, for having me here. He didn't get a choice. I told him, I'm coming next Sunday, so make, make room for me. So <laughs> thanks for doing that. Uh, I'm excited. I'm supposed to, I don't remember the pact, you know, about not telling jokes about each other. So I was thinking of, you know, some college joke, something we did together. But actually, nothing comes to my mind, Steve. So you were very, you know, a good, good guy, I guess, and didn't get in trouble and nothing funny. You didn't do anything funny in college. So, But no, that's, uh, that's not entirely true, true but uh, I think uh, we took it. I think you were a freshman when I was a senior. So, uh, and he ended up actually on our same floor, on our same wing, right, 4th South, is that Right? So it was actually as senior, it was our job to, uh, you know, uh, break him in and, you know, protect him from the bullying at Bible college, you know, all the freshmen that they get. They get. So uh, I think I did a good job. So, you know, he turned out all right. <laughs> I can't take any of that credit. But he has, a ch- he has been to Venezuela to vi- visit us. And I'm going to be talking a little bit about Venezuela in a little bit um, just to share what's going on. You might see, been seeing a lot of that in the news uh, or maybe not, you know, depending on what news you watch. But uh, there's a lot of stuff going on right now, and, and, and for us to be in the middle of all that is, um, it's a privilege, it's an honor also, you know, even though it's some scary stuff sometimes, but to be in a, in a place in a time like this is, is incredible. And I'll share a little bit more about that, but um, just first of all, I'm going to pray, and um, 
And I want to thank Dylan also for the, you know, the, that heartfelt worship this morning and authentic, raw, you know, I like that. You know, I can usually tell a church by their worship, you know. Uh, so, so I enjoyed that this morning. Thank you very much. And uh, my girls are going to help me out. We're probably going to do a song in Spanish at the end of the service. So if you're still awake by the time I finish talking, you might be able to enjoy some of that, you know. So, but thank you for that. And uh, I'd like to pray. Dear God, we just thank you um, for a place to worship, Lord. And it doesn't matter what part we are in the world and where we're at, Lord. Just to gather in your name and seek your face and, and give you glory and honor. And make our lives about you, Lord. That's, uh, that's the desire of our heart, Lord. To see your name glorified, Lord. And God, just help us... Um, be a good steward, Lord, of, uh, of, this, of this mission, Lord, of what you and put in our hands, Lord, so that we can take it uh, and share it with the rest of the world. So, God, uh, use us, Lord, as instruments. In your name we pray. Amen. <laughs> so, I love the name of your church, Echo. You know, at first, for the first, like, ten years, I didn't know what it meant. Like, I mean, I know what Echo is, but... It's like, why would you call your church Echo? So I was on the webpage yesterday, and I, I, they actually explain it. So I'm glad there's a webpage because otherwise I would not know how to get here because Steve did not give me the address to the church or the time. So uh, you guys at least have some good technology. Huh? <laughs> we got internet, barely. <laughs> we got a webpage in Venezuela, so you ever want to come and visit us. <laughs> so... Uh, I like the idea of, of echoing, you know, uh, the, 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 the word of God. You know, we're like an echo of what he has done, what he is. You know, we're resounding the sound of the gospel. And uh, this is what this church is about. I'm, I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful about that, right? So uh, I want to take you through a little bit of history before I get into what we're doing in Venezuela. Because the reason we are in Venezuela is because something happened a long time ago. And, and Christianity is about... Worship, you know, which is what I talked about earlier. If you're a Christian, it's because you worship God. And we want you to worship. You know, if you're a Christian, you don't worship God. Or you have problems worshiping God. You know, just kind of, you need to think a little bit more. Why, why do you go to church or why are you a Christian? Because it's all about worshiping his name, you know. And to worship him, you need to see what he's doing, who he, are, who he is and what he's doing. So if you open your eyes and see around you, you know, the wonders of what God is doing and who he is. Uh, you will worship, you know. And, and the second thing about worship is that we need to go and, and help other people see and worship the, the name of God. So that's what it's about. It's about a mission. So it all starts, you know, back in, the, if you, I'm going to make you guys work because I didn't give them any verses or anything. But if you open up your Bibles or your phone, right, turn with me in your phone to <laughs> Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 and following. And, uh. It all starts kind of there for me because after the flood and everything, everything starts all over. And it starts with this, uh, this person named Abraham, you know, the father of, of, of the nation, of, of the nation of Israel. And he tells Abraham, right, God shows up to Abraham. And we're going to look this up, so I hope you guys are there with me. I'm not there. I'm in the wrong place. But I'll get there in a second. But... It says, uh, reading the NIV, the Lord has said to Abraham, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. So the first thing, you know, God shows up in history, 
with a new group of people after the flood. And he says, what you need to do right now is you need to go. You need to move. I'm, I'm starting a movement here. And to start a movement, you need to get moving. And, and to me, this is the hardest thing in life is to get moving. I mean, you can tell that, you know, it's like exercise. I mean, Steve's in awesome shape. I'm, I'm impressed, you know. He's in better shape now than he was in college, which is pretty impressive. But to get in shape and stuff, you've got to move, you know. To get things done, you've got to move. So God says, go, first thing. Leave your household, you know. Leave your plans behind. Leave your, your vision of this world. i got a vision for you. i got a purpose for you. i got, I got something big I want to do. So that's how it starts. This is a story. It's a story about Christianity. It's a story about the Bible. And what did he tell them to go? So he tells them, go to the land I will show you. He didn't tell them where he was going. Because it doesn't matter where they're going exactly as long as you're being, you know, following, uh, you're following God. As long as you're going, it doesn't matter where you go, right? So um, God's leading you on this, on this movement, on this mission. And he says in verse 2, I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And, and all that sounds good. And we like that part. But the reason God wants to make him a great nation. The reason he wants to bless this man Abraham. And, and, and his descendants. Is because it says it right there. Because you will be a blessing. So he wants to bless you. So that you can be a blessing. There's a purpose why God Wants to bless you. And we're going to get back to that when we're talking about Venezuela in a little bit. Okay? So he repeats in verse 3. He gets in a little bit more detail. It says, I will bless those who will bless you. Now, whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I like that. All peoples on the earth. You know, all nations. Maybe another version says that. All nations are going to be blessed through you. So the purpose of this blessing on this man it's like, I got, a, I got a mission. I got something bigger than just staying here home. You need to start moving because this is going to be a worldwide event. It's not going to be just here in your home in Cincinnati. You know, it's going to spread like wildfire. Wild what? Fire, yeah. <laughs> I thought I said wildflower. <laughs> Sorry, my English, when I'm out of the country so long, it's, it's, I start speaking in Spanish and trying to translate stuff. So you'll hear some weird things today. <laughs> Hopefully nothing doctrinally weird, right? You know? so, so God is like, you need to move. This, something's happening. And obviously I know that for you to move, you're going to need some tools. I'm going to bless you. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about building your kingdom, you know, about building your riches. I'm going to take care of that stuff on the way. But you need to move. You need to go. So that's how the story starts. And actually, if you know a little bit about the story of Abraham, he, t- he never settles. God tells him, you're not going to build a big house of bricks, you know, this wonderful, you know, building to live in or anything. I mean, you're going to live in tents, you know, literally like, you know, peg and tents and stuff like that. Because you're going to be on the move, so don't get comfortable. And I think if anything, in, in the gospel, we need to uh, be reminded is not to get comfortable, not to get settled down, you know? Just keep moving because God is moving you to bless the nations. And it starts next door, and it can go all the way across the world. 
And the world is a lot more smaller now because of internet and technology. We live in a blessed time that we can go to the nations without leaving sometimes, you know, your computer or your phone. <laughs> you can reach the nations now. It's incredible. And uh, so the story goes like that. But immediately, the nation gets comfortable. The grandson of Abraham, name is Jacob. God changes it to Israel because he's going to be like the Israelites, a whole nation, right? So Jacob gets, long story short, gets thrown into Egypt, and they get comfortable in Egypt. They get a lot of blessings in Egypt. They multiply in Egypt, and they stay there for 400 years, right? And the result of that is slavery. Because if you stay in the same spot, and you don't listen to God's voice, and you don't move with God's voice, you're going to end up being a slave to something else. You can either serve God, you know, or be a slave to something else. You get to choose. And they decided to get comfortable, to settle, enjoy the riches, and then Satan used that to turn it all around. And they became poor, right? Because they were slaves. And then they, God gets him out of that. The story moves on 400 years later. Gets them through the desert where they didn't have a home again. But God was with them. That's all that mattered, right? And they got blessed. There was food every day, you know, from heaven. Miracle water, everything, you know. There's a miracle every day with that, during that desert time. But then they make it to the promised land. And what do they do? You know, a land of milk and honey. They settle down. They build houses. They get comfortable. And they forget about their God. They forget about the mission to be a blessing to all nations. And they become to build their kingdom. Disobey God. They start worshiping other gods. They get distracted from the plan. The vision, the movement is put on a back burner. And they settle. And then, you know, I forget how many years. Somebody, some scholar like Steve can probably tell you how many years it was. But, you know, they end up being slaves again in Babylon. You know? All their homes got destroyed. Nothing was left. You know, everything was torn down, burned down, deported. And that's what happens. So next time, God sends his only son, Jesus, into the world. I'm really fast-forwarding through history here. You know, the good news gets here. God himself comes to tell us, you know. And the verse that describes that like the best is the one we all know, John three sixteen, right? It says, for God so loved the what? What? You guys are shy in this church. What's going on? <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah, the world. God so loved the world, not God so loved Israel. You know, the Israelites, you know. He, he loved the world that he gave his son. Right? So the plan of God was like, he's coming back with the mission. It's the mission is the world. It's a big place. It's not just the area, the community where you live in. I mean, because that's what we do about, we make it about in our life. We just worry about our own schedule, you know, our own small space. But God came to, he loved the world, sent his son. And then Jesus reminds us when he's going up to heaven again, right? After he's been here three and a half years serving, you know. He reminds us that the verse that you guys put up this morning. You can put it up there again if you have it, I don't know. Matthew 28, you guys were reading it this morning. Jesus says, 
Go and make disciples of what? All nations. So it reminds us again, it's not go make disciples of the Jew, you know, the you know, Galileans or whatever. It's go to all nations. So Jesus was clear from the beginning. He came for the world and he wants us to go to all nations. And it's not just teaching them, you know, if you read that message there, you know, baptizing them and teaching them. The actual, the key, the actual thing that it's leading up to is teaching them to obey. It's not teaching them knowledge and, you know, information. It's teaching them to obey. Obey what? This great commission to go to all nations, you know, to actually live it out, to move, to get going. So this is, a, this is a history. This is Christianity. This is the gospel. It's for the whole world. It's a big place. So if you go to Matthew 9, we find Jesus one day looking at the crowds. And he's just, his heart's breaking for the crowds. And he's thinking, oh my goodness, there's so many people here. But I think we limit that verse to the people that were there. Because I think God is, Jesus is looking beyond the crowd there, he's looking to a whole nation. And he's looking beyond that. He can see the whole world. And he's thinking, he says in Matthew 9, the harvest is plentiful, right? You know that verse? The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. So he's seeing all this people, all the nations. And he's thinking, wow. There's a lot of people to redeem. There's a lot of people that need help, that need rescued. I mean, he's, he spent three and a half years trying to rescue the people around him. But he wouldn't be able to do it on his own. And just by addition, we need multiplication. We need the people that you are discipling to, to go and make disciples also. And then those other will also make other disciples. And for that, Jesus had to go, send us to empower us with the Spirit so that we could go. To remind us that we need to continue to go and teach the others to obey, not teach the others to stay. There's a big difference. <laughs> so, so Jesus is looking at this and he says, we need more workers. Because the workers are few. And I remember as I was graduating from college... Trying to decide what I'm going to do with my life. You know, you guys probably been there, right? It's like, okay, I already got through college and I trained. And now I have to go out to the world and, you know, do something. So lots of options, you know. I could go any directions. I'm looking where all my other friends are going. What are they going to do? What God wants me to do. Praying a lot. And uh, I finally realized... You know, that I decide to go where workers are few, fewer. My, chance, my options were stay in the States and minister, you know, plant churches, work with the church, local church, whatever. Or go to a place where they don't have any workers, you know, where the workers are few. That was my option, you know. So right there I said, okay, that, okay, God, that's not fair because obviously over there there's less workers, so I don't have a choice. You know, so give me like other signs of why I should go to places like Venezuela. So God's like, well, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things. I've been preparing you for a time like this. 
you know the language, you grew up all your life, he speaks better Spanish than English, so why do you think I taught you Spanish? Why do you think I let you learn not only the Spanish language, but the culture, right? Because that's two different things, you know? So I was like, okay, so you've been preparing me. I didn't know this, but you've been preparing me since I was a kid. You know, I was actually born in Puerto Rico. I wasn't even born on mainland, you know. Spent the first uh, four years in Puerto Rico, then next year, 10 years in Dominican Republic, and then ended up in Venezuela, you know. I don't even know how many years now, but it's like 30. <laughs> don't, don't figure out my age. So, uh, so God was moving me, you know. The fields are plentiful, the workers are few. Stretching me out of my comfort zone. Don't get settled, you know. And you know, it's, it's hard for me because I grew up in a third world country, Dominican Republic. You know, there was nothing there. I mean, there was, you know, nothing there. Sugar cane. <laughs> They had nice beaches, but not even back then the beaches were that nice as they are today, you know. People go there for the beaches. But I grew up and I was like, oh, I want to go to the States. I want to move back to the States. Why am I living in this third world country? You know, there's tarantulas crawling into our house at night, you know. My job was to kill them, you know, protect my sisters, you know, (laughs) my family from these huge tarantulas. So I was trying to get out of that situation, but then God's like, you're going back, you know, you're going back in there. So uh, the key to the verse, says, pray for the Lord of the harvest that he will send workers. So the first step we need to do is pray. And as we pray, we understand what God wants to do in our life, you know, and what's God doing. And then we can intercede for other people, you know. My parents... Uh, my grandmother in a little town in Virginia called Horsepen. I mean, it's so, t- it's so small. I mean, I can probably count the houses, you know, with my two hands. You know, the town in Horsepen, Virginia is small. And they have a little church there in Horsepen, Virginia, which actually back then was kind of thriving. You know, they had a couple hundred people. Nowadays, I don't think they have that many. But this little church where my grand- grandpa and grandma went, uh, that's where my father was born. And as, when my father was born, my grandma started praying this prayer. He says, I want my son to grow up to be a pastor. You know, I want him to be a preacher. She prayed that. He didn't know she was praying that during his whole growing up. And eventually my dad became a pastor. And this little town in Horsepen, Virginia, decided to give him $100 so that he could go and be a missionary. $100. I guess that was a lot back then, you know. And my dad said, if somebody gives me $100, I'll be a missionary. <laughs> so the pastor came and gave him $100, and he didn't even know that he, was, he had prayed that. So my dad's like, I guess I'm going. <laughs> so he ended up in the mission field, still in the mission field today, you know, like 40-some years later. He's in Venezuela also working with us. And I was reading a history book on restoration movement, you know. And yeah, get to the final chapter of that book of restoration movement, which is where this church comes from, you know, the, the grassroots, you know, back in the 1800s, you know. And uh, 
At the end of this restoration book movement, it says not only in the United States this movement was taken off, but it was going to different countries. And I started seeing different countries, and I, and I, and I said, could, my, could Venezuela be in this thing? And I have to go all the way to the back because v, Venezuela is like V, so it's all the way to the back. You know, it's usually the last two countries in the, any list of the countries. And uh, so I go to the back, and I see Venezuela, and I see my family's name there. And the Dyes went to Venezuela in 86 and planted the first churches there. I was all excited about that. I was like, wow, to be part of history, you know, be family being history makers. And you're part of a history that's going on. It continues. So we end up in Venezuela. And at the time we, I moved to Venezuela, it was beautiful. You know, this weather, the whole year round, no winter, you know. No extreme summers. People are the friendliest people in the world. You know, Venezuela has cheap gasoline. So basically, it's free. Because if you live in Venezuela, you get free gas. Because we pay, I think it's one cent to fill up our tank of gas. One cent. So, and that's giving the guy a tip after because he fills it up for you. So... (laughs) That's how cheap gas is. And people were complaining because it went up 600% this past year, and it's still one cent. You know, so it went up 600%. So I don't, don't even make me do the math for that. So they have, it's incredible, weird country, you know, where gas is free, you know. And um, so you can buy the biggest truck, that, you know, the big gas, you know, hog, whatever, and ride it down there. You can buy Hummer or whatever if you had money, right? And it's free. And they have all these cool things. Uh, Venezuela is the number one. It's one of the richest countries in the world because they have the number one oil reserves. Number two in natural gas reserves. I mean, more than Kuwait and Iran, Iraq, all those countries in the Middle East. We have more oil and natural gas than them. We're number two in gold. We got the gold reserves, you know, mines. that We haven't even tapped into because we don't need to tap into it. They're like still there but they they know how much gold i don't know how they figure that out but we have that and we have so many riches in this country the thing what happens and when god blesses you with riches like he's blessed this country other countries you know he demands also right that you be faithful to whatever he gives us i mean you know the story you know uh in the bible it talks about giving talents to different people and he expects you know, to use that talent and to, you know, give dividends on that talent. So when he blesses a country and the country doesn't do anything with that blessing, then he can take that away. In the last 17 years or more now, I think it is in Venezuela, we've been seeing how God is taking that away from the people because they haven't taken advantage of what the blessing that God has given. They haven't given God the glory. They haven't seen this face. When my parents went to Venezuela, it was less than 2% of the population was uh, Christian, or at least evangelical Christian. Everybody else, you know, was like, yeah, a lot of were considered Catholic. But even that, like 80% of the people that consider themselves Catholic didn't go to church. So it was just by name, by culture. And uh, so the last 17 years, um, the country became uh, socialist. You heard of Chavez, right? He's dead now. But then you heard of Maduro. 
is the next president. And these guys with a socialist agenda just kind of, you know, destroyed the country there. Took away uh, the, the money from the rich, kind of, you know, and gave it all to the poor. Uh, at least not all, but some of it, <laughs> you know, to keep the people happy. And, it's, and it looked good at first, except that you know, socialism, the problem with socialism, when, when the, you run out of the money, the rich people, they're not there anymore. They're not rich anymore because you took their money out. Then you don't have any money to give to the poor, right? And fortunately for the socialists, they got into power right when the gas prices went up to 120 or something a barrel. It was like ridiculous. It was really high, you know, back in the, you know, 10 years ago. And all of a sudden, Venezuela is rich. You could hand out, the government is handing out houses, food to everybody, you know. People were happy. The poor people were really happy, you know. But then they're like, we don't need to work. We just want the government to keep giving us stuff. So they line up to get stuff. So the, the manufacturing people, they're like, we can't compete. We can't sell it, you know, more expensive than what he's giving it away. So we're just going to close down and leave the country. So manufacturing stopped in Venezuela. Everybody producing food and everything. There's a lot of other reasons why it stopped. But basically, they left the country. Now Venezuela has to import every, all their food. And then this last couple of years, the, dollar, the gas went down to what? Less than 40 a barrel from 120 so there's no money in Venezuela now right to feed and there's no manufacturing they have to import everything so there's no food in Venezuela people are lined up now to get the government food and the government's not bringing in the food so people are lining up for no reason you know a few the first ones will get a little bit of the cheap food so now they're turning to the people that are importing the food on their own, it's, and they have to pay like six, ten times the prices they can't afford. Salary in Venezuela, minimum wage. You will not guess what it is. If I told you $10, you would think an hour? A day? A week? It's a month. $10 a month, minimum wage, if you work at McDonald's or any place like that. So with $10 a month... How do you think that people are going to afford to eat and buy imported food? So people are starving in Venezuela right now. And uh, there is, uh, I heard some stats just yesterday. It's like 11% of the kids in, in Venezuela, or, or I don't know, this, I can't pronounce this word, malnourished or something like that. I can't say it. <laughs> Desnutrido, that's the word in Spanish, but you could Google it. <laughs> Google translate it. You know, they are, health-wise, they are, we have a lot of kids dying just because they're, because they're not getting enough protein or, you know, the right food. So they're turning to eating f- wild fruit, mangoes. We got lots of mangoes, so people's refrigerators are full of mangoes. And they're turning to the garbage. People are lined up to, you know, you have to make a line because you can't just go. There's people lined up for hours to find food in the garbage. I've never seen that before in Venezuela. Venezuela is one of the richest countries in the world. I just told you that a little bit ago, right? And people are eating from the garbage. But the socialism, even though we have a natural disaster going over there, like a crisis, they're not allowing countries, U.S. or any other country, to send help. 
They're not allowing uh, anybody to send food or medicine because there's no medicine. You can't go to the store and buy antibiotics. You can't go to the store and buy inhalers if you have asthma. So you better not get an asthma attack. So people <clears throat> are going through this situation. The government says, if I admit, if I let people in that we're admitting that we failed, that socialism doesn't work. So they're not going to admit that. And they said, nobody's hungry in Venezuela. Everything, there's enough food, we got everything. That's the story they're telling people. And everybody's like, what? <laughs> Come and make the lines, you know, try to find food. Go look at the garbage dumps and see people eating from it. I don't know if the video is going to be working. Yeah, all right. We'll see some images of that in a little bit. Okay. I think I ran out of time. I didn't even get started yet. <laughs> Do you guys finish at 12? Yeah. So there's hunger going on. There's no medicine. People can't find food. Right now when we left, it had been like two months since we, I could find bread at the grocery store. Just to give you one example. I eat bread like sandwiches, you know. That's part of my diet every day, you know. You know, ham and cheese sandwich or something like that, you know. No bread, so you got to, okay, so people are making bread with other kind of fruits. Trying to make some kind of flour out of oatmeal and other things that they can find. But you can't find bread right now. And just like that, another stuff, sugar sometimes, rice sometimes, toilet paper. There's a crisis, there was no toilet paper. You know, you couldn't find toilet paper. So you have to go to the black market and pay like a ton for people that are importing it on their own. So there's this crazy crisis going on. But at the same time, and the economy is really bad. So people decided that they've had enough. The last 90 days, you know, college kids, senior citizen, women, children have gone to the streets. I don't know if you've seen the images. And they're saying, no more. No more. We're done with this. We're done with socialism. We don't want dictatorship. You know? And they're going to the streets by the millions. If you've seen images, you'll probably see one. If you'll... And they're going, they're going to the streets and saying, we're done with this. We want you to resign. We want to get rid of this government. We want to go back to being the, you know, the nation we were. And the response of the government, instead of resigning, you know, saving face and getting out, you know, is... If we lose the vote, we're going to use our guns to stay in power. We'll fight our way. But this is not going to end. That's their response. So they're sending in the National Guard. Instead of just containing the people from marching and getting to wherever they want to go to march and protest, you know, they start using their containment weapons to kill the people. I mean, they'll put, the, you know, those tear gas, you know, supposed to shoot them up and you know, disperse the people with that. They'll shoot them right close up, you know, to people in the chest and the head and the face. And many have died from this. We, the count right now is 90 days, and there's more than 90 deaths. And of those 90 deaths, a lot of them are college students and younger. There's a 14-year-old, a 15-year-old, three 17-year-olds, a bunch of others around the college age and young adults that are dying. Why are they doing this? Because they're fighting for freedom. They see there's no, there's no point anymore. I mean, they're starving. And in a rich country, that shouldn't be, happen. And they're fighting. They want freedom back. They want to be free. They want to see the blessing, the prosperity again. And at the same time, I'm thinking, you know, and I'm seeing Satan working in all this. Because if you look at the history, 
Satan's always using governments, you know, whether it was in Egypt, Babylon, the Romans. He's always using, you know, governments to, to hurt the nations. And part of the history has always been through this, this political stuff that's going on too. You can't push that aside. So we see God's doing something incredible. One of the verses, if I knew, probably back when I was going to college, tried to decide where I was going to go in life. If all this stuff was happening in Venezuela, I probably definitely would have not chosen to go to Venezuela. You know? <laughs> right now, number one highest crime death in the world. So, that means, like I think it's 150 deaths every weekend by violence in Venezuela. A lot, a lot of people. And, uh, so I, I would have said, I wouldn't go anywhere else but Venezuela. So God works things, you know, and so that you end up in the right place. I love, I love the story in Esther. You guys know the, know the story of Esther, how she ends up being the, the queen, you know, the wife of the, of the guy in Persia, you know. He's not a pharaoh, I don't forget what they call him, the king of Persia, whatever. And, uh, and they're going to kill all the Jews, and her uncle, Mordecai, comes up and tells her, you need to do something. Go talk to the king. Because they're trying to cheat him into destroying our nation. And she's like, yeah, but you know what? Anybody that goes to the king gets killed too. Because even though I'm his wife, I, I shouldn't do that. It's not good for me. It's not very comfort, comforting. It's dangerous. I could lose my life. It's a big risk. And Mordecai says these words that are astounding, you know. If, if you have a, okay, where did I do with that? Esther chapter 4. You know, let's see if I can find it real quick here. Mordecai used these words, and it's just maybe one of my favorite verses. And I think it applies to all of us. And he says in verse 14, if you remain silent at this time, listen, relief And deliverance for the Jews will rise from another place. Okay, that's comforting. But you and your family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to the royal position for such a time as this. I love that phrase, for such a time as this. Who knows if you're in this, you know, place where you are today for such a time like this. God wants to use you. He's got a mission for us all. You know, our mission in Venezuela is we want to plant 120 churches in the next four or five years by the year 2020. And uh, we have like 30 churches already planted since we first got there. You know, now we have a network of churches. Now it's just not my parents. We got a team of people working, even though all the other missionaries are gone, most of them. 90% of the missionaries are gone from Venezuela. The national leaders are starting to come up. But what if God has put you here? He put me in the place where I was for such a time like this. You know? You can't, now if you want to be a missionary in Venezuela, you don't get visas. There's no visas for missionaries. So we were in there at the right time. And there's a, there's a, there's a possibility that we have to leave the country. You know? If we don't get enough support, we might have to leave. If the government decides we don't want any more missionaries, we have to leave. If he changes the rule, we have to leave. But God has us now for such a time like this. And I'd love to tell, just keep talking. There's so many stories I could share with you guys. You know, what God's doing there. Last year we had 
our church, the church I work with, even though it's helped plant so many other churches, it's, we always keep our congregations pretty small because of the place we don't fit and logistically and all that kind of stuff. Most of our churches have less than 100 people, you know, in our churches. But, but a couple of them have like 800, so we're excited about that. But I work with a congregation that's been around forever, and uh, we have about 90 people. And, and people are leaving the country all the time. Every year we lose half our congregation that leaves the country. But last year, we baptized 40 people in our small congregation. 40 people, that's like the most we have. So even in the worst time in Venezuela, God is still working. And our mission-wide, we baptized, I think it was uh, almost 400 between our 30 churches. Just last year only. So God is working in Venezuela. Despite all this, this trouble that's going on, God is doing something incredible. And you guys have the opportunity to be a part of it. You already are a part of it. You guys started supporting this year, Venezuela, and what's going on there. So just think about it. Just by you coming and giving your offerings, you're impacting and helping us go there and save people's lives, right? And take the good news there. One of the ministries that my wife has is, you know, once a month she buys as much of food as she can, you know, from different donations that we get. And she feeds the congregation. She gives them bags of food, you know, full of food. And you'll see images of that. So maybe we can do that now. We can maybe show the, uh, that video right now and see some of the images.